Um, so last year in January, I think it was, we were here and we talked about um, just keeping marriage a priority with small kids in your household. And so little bits and pieces of this you may have heard if you were here um, or if you, some of you newer moms that were in the pre-marry class within the last four years may have heard bits and pieces of this. But um, really we um, just kind of dove right into commitment and what that looks like in marriage. So most of this will be new. Um, Allison did a great job of introducing our family. And so we've got a few pictures of our boys. Our twins are six, Duncan and Drew, and they are in first grade in, um, at Mohawk. And then Carson will be four the end of this month, and Lincoln just turned two. Scott and I have been married for nine years as of September. Uh, we got married the week of 9-11, which was a story all in itself. Um, there they are. So the bottom left corner is Carson. That was almost two two years ago, but Scott loves the hair picture, so that's why we picked that one. And then our twins are on the bottom, and Lincoln's our littlest one up top there. Um, So that's kind of our story. Uh, Why don't you guys, what I'm going to do is show you. We brought our wedding picture. So this is kind of our fun picture, which unfortunately we couldn't scan in. But um, this is our wedding party right outside the church um, that on 9:15, and um, so what we're going to have you all do is just kind of as an icebreaker and while you finish eating um, just pull out whoever at your table has got pictures you can pass them around and then just kind of highlight what the kind of the best part of your day was that your wedding day not today <laughs> and um, and then how long you've been married and so you guys can just kind of get to know each other at your tables and then we'll come back all right there are plenty of seats up here just because there's a boy at <laughs> the boy does not have cooties. <laughs> I'll just give you guys about three minutes. All right. So, uh, you know, since we debated on what what to talk about, we were really excited in uh, in the winter. As Kristen talked about to talk about how to keep your marriage a priority when you have young kids. And we just kind of racked our brain. We couldn't think of anything that we were super excited about when it comes to marriage and the truth about marriage. And so we're really excited about marriage, but just this idea of commitment kept coming up. And so it's got like maybe the worst title of the talks out of all of these, the truth about being joyfully committed. So I just applaud you all for coming here in spite of that title. Uh, but, you know, the reason why I think we're part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it is just what I do in my job is I'm the pastor. Over, over pre-married couples and over the last four five years have worked with newly married couples as well. Chris and I get to do a, a ton of ministry together. And so we have just seen couple after couple go through the pre-married class with a huge amount of excitement, largely for the wedding day and the wedding night, and not, you know, they just don't prepare for the marriage as well. And so we are seeing couples that will go through a pre-married process, they'll get married and get divorced within the first couple of years of marriage. And so that it just is really heavy on my heart on this whole idea of what it means and what it looks like to be committed. And so you guys, especially with young kids, you are in a very unique stage of life. It is just really challenging at times to be a mom or a dad of young kids. Partly because everything that, that in your world is like just kind of typically real nice and easy. Your double income, you get to sleep in. You know, we have our friends that are that are newly married. We lead a foundation group of newly married couples, and they complain about getting up at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. I want to kill them. So it's very sanctifying to be with them and just to not be jealous of that stage of life that they're still in. And so you're challenged by just the, the you know the dynamics of not sleeping. You can't go on dates as much anymore. You're financially strapped. It's impossible. Like dinner could be the most uh, stressful time of the day for each one of us. Trying to have a conversation over the dinner table with four kids just yelling and demanding and fighting. Uh, You know, for those of you that have boys, boys just love to fight all the time. And I'm one, I know, and I had a younger brother. We fought all the time. And so we know that there are just some really unique challenges to your stage of life. Challenges that can really just, frankly, uh, really challenge your idea of commitment and marriage. And so we want to address that head on today and just talk about what does God say about marriage? What does the Bible say about it? Why is commitment so difficult? And not just being committed, but what is it? And so that's, that's why we put 
we were just going to talk about the truth of being committed. But th- that's, that's really boring. But what does it look like to be committed, but to be joyfully committed within marriage? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I just read an article this morning from USA Today. It was uh, online that marriage is becoming obsolete. And so 40% of people, when interviewed, said that marriage would one day become obsolete. Four out of ten people. So if you look around here, that's basically almost this side of the room. If you took a gem, this took 2,600 people they interviewed. 40% said they think marriage will be obsolete one day. That means I'll lose my job, number one, so I'm frustrated <laughs> about that. But just there's, there's a really poor view of what marriage is within our society and culture. And so we hope this helps you personally as a married woman uh, or as a mom, and then we hope that it will help your friends as well just in the way that you communicate to them about what marriage is. Uh, the most depressing slide I didn't put in our presentation. We've, we've shared this before, but there's like a slide that talks about satisfaction in marriage. And so the pre-married side, you're all the way up here like an 8 or 9 out of 10 you get married you move up to a 9 or 10 out of 10 things are really good when you're dinks the first couple years and then what happens when you have your first kid goes all the way down here to like a you know a two or three out of ten and it stays down there for a very 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 long time it dips a little bit or a whole lot when you have adolescent kids and so we have no idea how hard it really is but it will dip when your kids are adolescents and then when the kids are out of the house things get better again and so that's depressing because i just don't want to live that way we don't want to live for 20 plus years of our life being just miserable just because we have young kids or because we have adolescents. And so that's one of our hopes is that this would just be one step along the way to help you not be depressed and uh, just disappointed in life when you've got young kids. Here's that. Anyone know who this girl is? Somebody shout it out. What movie was she in? High School Musical, yeah. Good. We didn't know. I had to look it up. But she had this, you know, she's probably, what, 20, 22 years old, uh, just an authority on marriage and relationships. If you really love someone, you shouldn't have to work at it. And that's like, that. I hear that so many times. And if we really love one another, then we just shouldn't have to work. And so, therefore, it's probably okay for us to get divorced. And so that just captures, like, the feelings of a lot of people in our culture, and maybe even some of us, that marriage really shouldn't be hard. The truth is, marriage is incredibly challenging. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.28, I love the first part. It It says, if you do marry, you have not sinned. Just make sure you know you're not sinning by getting married. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. And so Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says, here's something that, that we will guarantee in life. And I think this may be the only promise about marriage in the Bible. It says that if you get married, you will have trouble. And so you shouldn't expect to be, to be challenged right now, to be struggling, to just wonder about your commitment levels and contentment. It is only natural when you've got young kids and when you're married. And so the truth about marriage is that it is really, really hard. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about... Uh, before, before we get there, we're going to watch. Here's a, here's a great example of why marriage is hard. You could be, if you think your marriage is hard, you could be married to this guy. And so just watch this and take a minute to be thankful you're not married to him. Hey, baby. Hey, it's Friday. Heading home. Uh, I thought maybe I would give you a surprise. You want a surprise? Yes. I thought I would bless you by cooking dinner for you without your help. What do you think of that? Are you serious? Yeah, does it sound delicious? Yes. Um, so I'm thinking maybe that I would grill out. Hmm? Hello? Baby? Speechless? Sure. But what about all the, you know, the fixings? The fixings? Well, you know, I thought maybe you could uh, just throw all that together real quick before I get home. What do you think? So uh, go ahead and do that. I'll be home in just a couple minutes. So get it all together, and I will see you in a few, okay? And I'll get it on. I'll get my doing my grill thing. You know, who's doing it? Julia's doing his grill thing. Love you. Hey, 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 it's Grant, husband. Hi, 
Am I a great husband or what? This is a One great, of those, yeah. Great idea. Um, hey, did you fire up the grill? Huh? That looks good. I am a good cook. I am gonna, I am out. If you could fix me a drink, I'm gonna go change clothes and out with that. To bless you. Better. You know, the ties are... Do you mind? No, I do not mind. I do not mind making dinner for you every night of the week if that's what it takes for you to relax. Speaking of, you keep on just chilling, and I'm going to go chill by the grill, and then uh, just when these steaks are marinated, come bring them to me. Did you marinate those? They look kind of... Not quite enough. Do a little bit more. I'm ask you to do one thing. Hey, baby, you need to kick back and relax. Just kick back. Oh, and make a cake. Beep well like done. Well done. Look how delicious that looks. It's perfect. That one's mine. Woohoo! Oh, you know, we do not do this enough. I mean, eating, you know, good food. All right. Would you like to do the honors and put them on the plate? I love the way you do it. I'm going to say grace while you do that. Father God, go ahead and start it. Father God, thank you so much for this delicious meal that I have made and that you made the cow first. And just please bless us tonight as my wife takes a well-earned break, partly earned. Jesus' name. All right. Did you make fruit? No fruit. Woo! I don't see how you do this every night, to be quite honest. But I could eat it every night. And I think, you know, that is a hint. Oh, <laughs> I like steak. It really does feel good. Proof positive. It feels really good to bless your spouse. Oh. And the best part is, you're not to do the dishes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that out loud, but I knew you get a big kick out of it. Not now. <laughs> All right. Hey, so on behalf of all men, I am really sorry. And please forgive us when we do that. Because that, there wasn't, I thought people would laugh more. Probably might be <laughs> a little too close to home. Yeah. Is anyone married to him? Kristen, don't raise your hand. Your husbands aren't here. You can raise your hand. It's okay. All right. So let, let's talk about just kind of what marriage is. So truthfully, and, and this is no surprise, there's a whole lot of confusion in our culture about what marriage is, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's something that two men can do, two women can do. You go ask any of the average Joe or Jane on the street, they're going to give you any opinion uh, of what marriage is. I met with a couple yesterday who said, a marriage is just when I feel committed in my heart to someone. I don't need a pastor or a justice of peace or church music or an organ to tell me I'm married. Marriage is just when I make a commitment to one other person. Like, what the heck are you talking about? That means nothing. You know, what marriage is not just like a, a feeling or, or something that you just can kind of haphazardly enter into. And so there's a ton of confusion in our culture about what marriage is. And so what we want to do is just talk about what does the Bible say about marriage. We're going to fly through this hopefully a little quickly. Uh, if you've been through the primary class, you've heard this. The biblical picture of marriage. Any guesses? It's on your handout. Right underneath the blank. Somebody. Anyone? Bueller. That's well. That's close. 
Christ in the church, that's, that's correct, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. But yeah, it's oneness. Yeah, oneness. And so if you look at the scriptures, just Old Testament to New Testament, what does the Bible say about marriage? And so it's Moses in the Old Testament, it's Jesus in the New Testament, it's Paul in the New Testament. A very common theme of man leaves his house, becomes united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And so what the heck does one flesh mean? And so we're going to talk about that. Just what is this biblical picture of marriage? Uh, Moses writes in Genesis, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so just what, does, what is this picture of marriage? For a marriage it's oneness. First thing in that is that it's physical. And so there's certainly a physical component to marriage. We're made with physical bodies. God designed us uniquely as men and women with certain parts that work together really well within marriage. It's partly how we have kids. Uh, and so God is not surprised when, when Adam and Eve have sex with one another for the first time. He made them uniquely that way with a physical nature of the relationship. And what's unique about it is that sex is not intended for just any random man man or woman. It's intended for a husband and wife within the covenant of marriage. And so there's a physical component to what marriage is. Second is that it is emotional. And so there's a whole piece in that Genesis 2, 24, 25 of being naked and without shame. And so when when sin enters the world in the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, shame enters in and hurt relationships and anger. And so there's an emotional component to marriage that's largely because it's the most unique relationship between two people on the face of the earth. And so it's physical, it's emotional, it's companionship. And that, you know, God talks about he created the earth and it was good. He created the water, it was good. He created the animals, it was good. He creates a companion for Adam. And he says things are very good when a man and woman come together within marriage. And so God, God, gave, us, God gave us men an amazing companion in women. And, and, uh, and we, have some, you know, we have somebody to, to share life with within marriage. Uh, prior to woman, it was just Adam and a bunch of animals, uh, which is probably not really fun. But when in marriage, we get to have conversation. We get the physical. We get the emotional. We get to watch college football together. It's the greatest thing ever. Companionship within marriage. Next, within the New Testament, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this verse today. But the, the Pharisees come up to Jesus. They say, uh, they test him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not raised this? Have you read your Bibles? Have you looked at what the Old Testament scriptures say? Have you read the Bible? Have you read the, the scriptures? Uh, it says that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female. It said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. He goes back and quotes uh, Genesis 2 when he talks about what marriage looks like. Then there's a separate piece on there that's not in the Genesis passage. It says, They are no longer two flesh but one. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And so there is a unique aspect of marriage that is not in any other relationship. Uh, with, with some of y'all, I could have a relationship with you as a friend, but then I can move away or um, you, know, you move away, we get in a fight, which wouldn't happen, obviously, because we're... we're friends and we're Christians, hopefully we won't, but we can, we can end the relationship, one of you can move away and it changes. You go do your own thing, I'm still here. Marriage is something different in that it's not a temporary relationship, it's a permanent relationship. It's one flesh, that's what one flesh is about, is that it's a, it's a commitment and a covenant made within marriage that's unique and different than any other relationship. So it's not, I'm going to stay married until, with, with you until you do this and then I'm going to leave. It's I'm going to marry you and stay married to you until one of us dies or until we both die. And so there's a permanence to the relationship. Paul also quotes this passage from Genesis. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so if you look at this whole context of Ephesians 5 leading up to this passage, it's very clear that Paul has in mind uh, that oneness is having the same purpose with someone. And so that's why we say do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer in marriage, and that two believers should marry one another, not a believer and a non-believer, is because we need to have the same purpose within marriage, and that's inherent in the design that God has made for a husband and a wife. Last, and there's this piece, he says it's mysterious. 
This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so there's just a component to marriage that we don't fully understand. What we do know with marriage, however, is that we are either moving towards one another or moving away from one another. And so the reality is is that the stage of life that y'all are in, that we're in, there are some unique challenges that, that could really easily force us apart from one another. And we know when we're moving away from each other, right? I mean, it's, it's the fights. It's the, hey, you may, let's make dinner together while I go sit over here and watch college football or play the Wii or take a nap. I mean, that's, that is not oneness. We know that we're clearly moving away from one another or I'm moving away from my spouse and so we don't know all the components we don't understand it completely but the reality is is that there's a mystery to it but it is a unique and special permanent physical emotional companionship same purpose and permanent relationship I may have said that twice which is good because it's okay to say permanent a lot you'll hear that a lot alright so we're going to look at that that Matthew passage again the key word here is this kind of hold fast and so uh, th- this is one word in the Greek. It's a Greek word, kalao, which really means just united together, joined together, almost like taking the most powerful glue in the world, multiplying it infinitely, and then put that between two people. And so that's what happens in marriage. How many of you saw um, Fireproof? You don't have to be ashamed. Yeah, we saw it too. And so there's a scene in the movie, actually a really great scene, where uh, the one guy sits down with Kirk Cameron, and they, he takes the salt and pepper shaker, and he puts crazy glue between them, and he glues them together. And he, you can't break that thing apart. If you do, you're going to break both the salt and the pepper. And so it's almost like that picture of, of two people coming together with this unbelievably strong glue or bond between us. And what I read, I've read a few commentaries on this passage and on this verse. We don't even have words within our language to fully comprehend what it means to hold fast, to be united, to be joined together, to be committed within marriage. It's something that we just don't fully understand. Chuck Colson, a lot of you know him. He's uh, written a bunch of books and uh, he just has some great things to say about commitment. Uh, Part of who we are as followers of Christ is people who are committed. So he says certain characteristics are so inherent to Christianity that to neglect them is to become a walking oxymoron. A Christian without commitment is such an oxymoron. And so because we are, God is committed to us, we are to have the same commitment to one another within marriage. The basic building blocks of society simply erode without commitment. Any sensible society must address this problem by educating people that commitment is the very essence of human relationships. And within this article, he talks about uh, how commitment is so essential and so integral to the relationships that we have and to the relationship between husband and wife. All right, um, a couple other things, and we're going we're to send you your table for a few minutes. But the, the, really, the, the picture of oneness, the other picture that, that's real clear in Scripture, is this idea of a covenant. And so a covenant is, is kind of a... We don't use that word covenant... You teach a covenant. You probably use it a lot. But most of us don't. Like, that's just not part of my everyday vocabulary. I'm going to covenant to go, uh, to go to work today. No, we don't talk that way. Uh, it's, so it's a unique word that we don't really grasp or use a lot. But a covenant is a relationship that God has established with us, with his people. And so if you look in the scriptures over and over again, God talks about his covenant relationship with his people. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Moses. He makes a covenant with Noah. He makes a covenant with with, uh, David. He makes a covenant with us through Christ. And so a covenant is also the picture of what we make with one another when we're married. A contract is something that's very different than a covenant. So a contract is something that two people sign when there's distrust between them. And so let's say uh, Chris and I aren't married. Let's just say we're friends, and, and I'm borrowing $10,000 from her. I thought she was my sugar mama, so that would definitely make sense. That she would, she would have more money than me. And so I, we would sign this contract, and it says, I promise to pay you back $10,000. And it would say, I promise to pay it, I promise to pay it this time, this much, and if I don't pay, then here are the consequences. She signs her name, I sign my name. We sign a contract because there's just a level of distrust between us. She doesn't trust me to pay her back. I don't trust myself to pay her back. And so we sign a contract 
so that she knows that there's just a little bit of, of uh, accountability that I'm going to pay her back. The problem is, is that I could break that contract. Uh, it doesn't last forever. Once I pay her back, the thing is done. It's no longer good. A covenant is totally different. Covenant is what we enter into in marriage. It's unbreakable. It's unconditional. It's based on trust between two people. It says, I'm going to stay married to you for the rest of my life. Kristen says, I'm going to stay married to you no matter what you do, no matter what a fool you are, no matter how lazy you are, no matter how selfish you are. I'm going to stay married to you within marriage. I'm going to promise that to you before friends, family, before God. And so that, that's just a really unique, different relationship. There is no other relationship like that on earth where two people enter into a relationship with one another like they do in marriage. And so just like God establishes an unbreakable covenant with us through Christ, we make an unbreakable covenant between one another. And so the way that works, you know, as uh, you know, I don't know where everyone is spiritually, but um, the way that God's covenant with us works is, is that God says, I'm sending my son to this earth to die for your sins. I'm sending him because you need it. You're wretched. You're selfish. You're broken. You need a relationship with God. And because of your sin, it's broken. And so I'm sending my son, Jesus, to live this perfect life, to show you what it looks like to live Uh, in a way that honors God. And he says, not only that, I'm going to send my son on earth to die on the cross for your sins. And no matter how selfish you are, how sinful you are, uh, how many times you try to break that covenant, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, then I'm never going to let you go. You are my child. You are a follower of Christ. You are a Christian. You are saved if you place your trust in Christ. And so no matter, I did that. Uh, my, my relationship with Christ started when I was 24 years old, where I entered into this unconditional relationship with God through Christ, where I, where I placed my trust in Him and my faith in Him. Now, I've sinned a whole lot since then. I sinned probably a dozen times this morning, just in, you know, in the words I use, the thoughts of my mind, uh, my selfishness. But that, that covenant that God has with me is unbreakable. He has said, because of Christ, you are still my child, you are still my son. In the same way, this marriage relationship, no matter how many times Kristen sins against me, and believe me, it's very often, right? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Twelve times this morning. Yeah, at least. At least twelve times in the last couple minutes. Probably, no, she's... Um, I'm the one that, that typically messes up. Shocking. And so, uh, so no matter what, we are still committed to one another. It's an unbreakable covenant or relationship. And so in the way that God loves us unconditionally and, uh, and uh, in a covenantal way, we love one another within marriage and stay united in a covenantal way as well. And so the way in the Old Testament that was declared, uh, if you look at just some of the passages that talk about a vow or a covenant being made, there, there are vows made, there are stipulations, there are parties that are introduced. Uh, there's a list of blessings and curses if you obey. Here are the blessings. If you disobey, here are the curses. And then they take an animal. And they actually cut the animal in half. And they put one part of it over here and another part here. And then you walk through the parts. And that's basically your way of saying that, that I have agreed to the stipulations in this covenant. Fortunately, we don't do that in marriage anymore. They've chosen a much better way. It's called a wedding ring. And so this is the same kind of thing. It, it's a symbol of my commitment to my spouse. And Christian wears a ring. It's her symbol of her commitment to me. But it's, again, a very unique relationship that has been challenged over and over again by what the world says about marriage and what God says about marriage. And so it's oneness. It's a covenant. It's unconditional. And a large part of that, and we're going to spend some time talking about that, are the vows that you make to one another when you enter into marriage. I'm going to read you. We actually wrote our own vows because my smart husband thought that that was the best thing to do, and I kind of dug my heels and didn't want to do it. But I'm very, very grateful. In fact, when we counsel now, um, folks that are about to get married, I kind of get on my little uh, soapbox and just think that that's the best way to do it. So I will read to you, this is what we said um, to one another. We did not memorize them. That was my one stipulation. Um, So this is um, my vows. 
probably cry doing this. Okay. These are my vows to Scott. So there's so much I love about you. God knew my desires for a man like you, a man of godliness, gentle strength, strong character, loyalty, devotion, and commitment to Christ and to me, and a man whose love for me demonstrates the love Christ has for all of us. I've seen your love for God, and I am confident you will be a loving spiritual leader. Thank you for striving to keep communication loving and open, and thank you for keeping us pure. I believe in you and respect you, Scott. I want to promise to you today uh, to help make all of your dreams come true, to support your decisions, to submit to your leadership, knowing you always will seek God's will, to always be faithful in every way, to never leave you or divorce you, to make my relationship with you a priority, to care for you in every circumstance, to love you unselfishly every day, and to make our home a peaceful place, I try at least, of love, acceptance, and laughter. Um, I also commit myself to always seeking a more intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. My longing is to be the woman God desires me to be and to fill my place as your helpmate chosen by him. Scott, you're a wonderful man. It's hard to believe we met as teacher-student, became friends, then best friends, and now husband and wife. God has shown us each many things, and now he rejoices as he begins to fulfill his plan for us as a couple. I am proud and privileged to become your wife today. You are an answer to prayer. I willingly commit myself to be your greatest encourager, best friend, and exclusive lover as long as we both shall live. I love you now and forever. My favorite part is when she said lover in church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had a very diverse um, group of audience or whatever you call attendance. So there was kind of this... (gasps) when I said that out loud. (laughs) Um, And so this is what Scott's vows to me were. Let me tell you what I love about you. I love your kindness and your giving nature, how you make birthday cakes for everyone. I love your love for God and have loved watching you grow into a godly woman. I love being next to you in church, watching the joy in you as you worship, and I love that you are so purposeful in your relationship with friends. I love that during this terrible and tragic week that you have been so strong and have had amazing perspective. I love that we have a vision together as husband and wife. Today, before our friends and our family and before God, I promise to become one with you as God has ordained, to give up my life daily for you, to commit to you for eternity that divorce is not an option, to raise children according to God's word, to lead you through the world with diligence as God gives me wisdom, to hear your tears, to never try to fix you, to wipe your tears with my hands, to make you laugh, to laugh with you, and to laugh at you, to challenge you to be all who God wants you to be, to be your spiritual leader, to lead our family as a husband and father whose heart desires to be Christ-like to not just listen to God's word, but to do what it says. I've seen your love for God and your desire to serve him, and I'm truly blessed to have you love me as well. I'm glad that you are my best friend. I'm honored to become your husband. My passion is to know God and know him more fully and to grow in his grace and wisdom, to seek his face and know his voice. It is in this commitment that I commit my life to you. Our spiritual life will be the priority over all else in our home. I promise to support you in our ministry together as we seek to know God more intimately every day. I love you, and before God, who made this union possible, I pledge to you my faithful love that will last forever and eternity. So every time Scott does a wedding, um, one of the things that just catches me each time, and I've been to quite a few, um, it's just like he always reminds the people there who are there to watch the union of marriage take place. Like this is an opportunity to reflect on, if you're married, to reflect on what you promised and committed to your spouse. Um, So we're just going to give you a minute to, um, if you brought your vows, um, to just kind of talk through at your table what um, kind of what so when you hear somebody read their vows or you're at a wedding of a friend kind of what does that what kind of feelings does that bring up in you um, and then what's the hardest wedding vow or promise that you have um, had to kind of tackle in the first few years of marriage All right, so we'll give you probably about five minutes um, and just kind of talk through those things with one another All right, it's been five minutes. We're running. We've got a lot more material than we thought we did. All right, so uh, let's talk for a minute. Let's just share with one another. Other than, other than if you've got like an immediate new, new, new baby and you're not sleeping, what are some of the other parts of commitment that have been really tough for you to do within marriage? And so, you know, let me read the standard vows. I, Scott, take you, Kristen, to be my bride as my wedded wife. 
having to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do his part for as long as we both shall live. And so whatever vows you made, whether a lot of you probably use the standard vows, uh, some of you may be so sleep deprived you don't even remember what you said. And so um, what, what's been the hardest part of keeping your vows and your commitments within marriage? It's a, yeah, Kara said just the commitment that she made going into marriage is I want to be the husband or just, I, want to be the, I want to be the wife that God wants me to be and Sean wants to be the, the husband that God wants him to be. And so you say those words, but I, I think I would absolutely agree. The more mature that we get, the more I understand about marriage and who God is and who I am, the, that is impossible to do on my own. And so I hope I'm becoming more Christ-like. But man, that, that's the biggest challenge, and it's hard to commit to that and keep it up in the midst of the day to day. That's great. What else? <laughs> Maybe all of them, but I think we talked at our table. Sorry, we talked at our table a lot about just selfishness comes in with any and all of probably a lot of our um, vows of, you know, you want you want the best and you want to love and you want to serve, but then that fleshly selfish yuckiness comes in and it just eats away. So. I share really shallowly, like in sickness and in health. Sometimes it's hard for me to take care of my husband when he's sick because I'm selfish. Not because he's, you know, a good or bad patient, but just because this is not the best time for me for you to be sick. And so so that's just a very, very shallow example, but that's just yucky selfishness of, you know, letting that be more important than than him. Yeah, I've heard selfishness is a problem. I don't know what it's like to be selfish, but... How many of you, again, we're, there are no guys here except two. How many of you have husbands who are absolute wimps when they're sick? That's <laughs> like 140% of the hands in here. Went almost, yeah. I don't know. Kristen should have been the first to raise her hand. Yeah. yeah, great. Just selfishness absolutely gets in the way. What else? A couple more. One more. Yeah. Oh, don't speak yet. Okay. Um, we had the traditional vows, and I think we also had in there forsaking all others. And for me, that's been really hard, not as far as infidelity, but just um, really forsaking all others for my husband, including our children. Yeah. You know, yeah. really looking to him first and meeting his needs first instead of saying, well, I really need to help this person out, or let me get to the baby first and then to you. So that's been very challenging as far as being married and having children. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. I think I think all of us can resonate with that of immediate needs, especially the wives or the mommies. You know, the, the immediate needs of a child, as a, of, an, of an infant, and then even as a child can certainly take precedence over the need of a spouse. And so forsaking this, if we don't have this thing right, then we can fake it for a little while with our kids, but ultimately we're not going to be the best parents that we can be. And so we got to take care, got to take care of our vertical relationship with God, and then our relationship with our spouse. That's great. All right, we're going to watch. This is a. I've been waiting to use this video for a long time, so I'm really excited. It's a, it's a music video by a guy named Andrew Peterson, and it's a song called "Dancing in the Minefields." And he said, I'm going to read this to you. I think it's really powerful. In December of 09, my wife and I celebrated 15 years of marriage. A few days later, we got in a silly argument, and I wrote this song after she went to bed. Marriage, see, was God's idea. It's one of the most potent metaphors in all of Scripture for the way God loves us and the way we're to let ourselves be loved by Him. But that doesn't mean it's easy. To the contrary, it's fraught with peril. And so that's why it says dancing in the minefields. You are walking around and dancing, and there are minefields all over the place in marriage. Any good marriage involves a thousand deaths to self. The good news is, in Christ, that marriage involves at least as many resurrections. We lay our lives down and enter this perilous dance with one another human being, with, I'm sorry, with another human being who has done the same. Why should we expect to emerge marriage or emerge unscathed? Reading 101. Okay. So we're going to watch, we'll watch this video and then come back and talk more about commitment. Well, I was 19, you were 21. The year we got engaged. And everyone said we were much too young. 
some of that man I wish I wish I wrote that song so you can see I wanted to show that in something that we're teaching on but pre-married couples would just not understand the richness of that like how awesome would it be to be one of those old couples and then just that idea of knowing that this is the hardest decision we've ever made uh, but it is it is worth laying down my life for the sake of my spouse and for my family and vice versa so and this fires me up. Gosh. All right. Sorry. Uh, so what is commitment? And let's just talk about what is uh, just some kind of definitions of what commitment is. And so two different ways to think about it. Think of this as like this is one side, these three. And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about the two on your right or whatever you're sitting. Okay. So personal commitment says that I want to. I want to be committed. I want to be engaged because I want to. Moral says, I ought to, so I'm committed to you. I, I said I was going to stay with you and be committed, and so I'm going to. And then structural says, I have to. I've got to provide. I've got to stay engaged with the kids. And so that's just one, one way of thinking about commitment. The reality is, is that we need all of it. We need the have to, the ought to, and I want to. Second way of thinking about it, we're going to spend the bulk of our time on this, is just two different kinds of commitment, of, of, being de- of dedication constraint, a dedication commitment and constraint commitment. And the way to think about this is that these are really two forces working on a married couple. Here's an example of, of dedication commitment. It says, I'm committed to my career because I'm passionate about married couples. 
So that says I'm dedicated to my career. I'm committed to my career because I'm passionate about marriage. The other one, constraint, would say I'm committed to my job because it pays me and allows us to eat and so that we can have a house and we can have food and I have something to do with my days. Both of those say I'm committed. I'm commi- I don't want to lose my job and so I'm going to stay here, but that's kind of a constraint commitment. I'm constrained to be involved, whereas dedication commitment says, I'm committed to my job because I'm passionate about marriage. And so the same thing applies within marriage. I I could be constrained to Christian because I kind of have to, because I made obligations, or I could be committed to Christian because I'm dedicated to her and to my family. And so we're going to spend a good chunk of time just talking through what does constraint commitment look like and what does dedication commitment look like. All right, so the commitment of constraint, um, there's some sub- subcategories. And the first one is just moral. And so it's just, this looks different for a believer and a non believer, but there's still a moral conviction. So God's heart for marriage, as we've said, is permanent. Um, and then the meta commitment is just like you finish what you start. And some, you know, for some people, this is big. Like for me, this is huge. Like if I said I'm going to do it, I don't care what else comes in the way. I don't care if I flip out. I'm committed to doing it, and I don't want to quit. Um, so that that could be your stance, whether you're a believer or not. Um, and then the concern for your kids and your spouse and their welfare. Um, you know, just you know, what would it look like for custody and living arrangements and those kinds of things. And these have a sense of guilt, some compassion in there, but um, more just a moral duty. And then the next one is just pragmatic constraints. So it's kind of what people think about me um, or what, what you would gain or lose if you ended this relationship. So, you know, we put in energy. Like you would never get back the energy you've invested in your marriage or taking care of your kids. Um, and so that's just an intangible that you won't ever regain no matter what um and the next is social pressure so obviously there's a third party pressure from sometimes from your families now in our culture there's more of the you know what he's just not the one or it's just too hard so yeah we totally get it you know go ahead and get divorced but um that's just not the way it's intended and so there is there are you know families especially if you come from non-divorced families that are like you know what you said you're going to do it so move on um, and then the thing with this is that you know, the longer you stay together the greater the social pressure is um, the next is termination procedures so just the thought of if I was going to end this what would that look like the money the legal negotiations the um, just figuring out where kids would live and those kinds of things another thing is this like my alternative is not that great so if he's the breadwinner and I decide I'm going to walk out I got to find a job I'm probably not going to make as much well I probably would make as much <laughs> I'd have to move na- you know like you'd have to move neighborhoods you'd have you'd lose your some of your friends would kind of have to pick sides so just those kinds of things um, and uh, along with that is the economic dependence you wouldn't be able to afford the same things unless you had a better job than your spouse could. Um, and then unavailability of partners. So who, who would replace that person? And the older you get, that seems to be an even more of a constraint, speaking from myself. Um, okay, there's a quiz in your handout, and we're not going to do it right now, but just it's called the constraint quiz. So um, when you have like two minutes in your free time this afternoon while somebody's napping, just take a look over it, and then um, it might be something good to do with your husband as well, just to kind of get a feel for where you both stand on that. And so on their own, none of those things are really bad. Like, it's okay to stay married because there's pressure from family. And I'm certainly going to stay married because I cannot find anyone better than Kristen. There's zero chance in the world that's going to happen. And so those are not bad things. But ultimately, you know, my selfishness could win out over over being married to someone. Uh, I could not give a flip what people say about me socially. And so I could choose to, to move away and to get divorced. And so constraint commitment is okay, but it's just not good enough on its own. And so the second piece is this dedication commitment, which really comes from the idea of that is, is just the classic love passage. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentment, does not rejoice at wrongdoing it, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. And so just this concept of this selfless, agape, 
is the, the Greek word that's used there, just a sacrificial, selfless love that allows us to be dedicated to one another in marriage. And so the first is just desiring the long term, that we have a long-term vision for our relationship as husband and wife and, and as daddy to Duncan Drew, Carson, and Lincoln. Next is just this idea of the priority of the relationship that, that you just mentioned over there in the back about that the spouse is more important than our relationship with our kids. And so I see that very clearly. Not that I'm going to neglect kids, but my relationship with my spouse needs to be number one. Third, and this is a fun word to say, weenus. Weenus. Not weenus. Uh, it's the way, it's just... <laughs> Hello, a bunch of amateur little kids. That's like why he wanted this section, yeah. is so he could say that word. Yeah. <laughs> what was that talk? Okay, weenus. So, just this idea that it's not about her and me, it's about us and we. And so we see our relationship within this dedication thing of just being a couple. It's a we and an us. Next is satisfaction with sacrifice. Uh, that's why I love that song. It just talks about it. it is worth it. It is worth dying to yourself. Uh, it is uh, as hard as it is. It's really great to sacrificially give for your spouse. And so that's what I tell pre-married couples all the time: is that if this is how this is the ultimate test of whether or not you should be married. You can be physically attracted to somebody. That's easy if you've got hormones. You can enjoy being in relationship with them. That's fun. It's fun to have a companion. But can you die to yourself for the other person? That, that's the big question. That's what separates the men from the boys, the girls from the women. Is can you see yourself sacrificially committing to your spouse and doing that joyfully? Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Just write these down. We're not going to go into them. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And then John 15, 13. Just talks about that sacrificial nature of relationships. Last is alternative monitoring. Just how much or how little. One keeps an eye out for potential partners. Just like Kristen talked about. We, we guard our relationship. There are no other alternatives. No one else is going to get in the way of our relationship. And so you see why you have to have that. That's like the, the positive nature of of commitment. That's the part that says I, I ought to and I have to, but I really want to. And so if I combine that with, with the ought to and the, and the have to, combine that with the want to of dedication, that's a really, really uh, unbelievably strong commitment that we can make to one another within marriage. So um, just over, oh, first of all, the, there's a dedication quiz in your handout as oh, yeah. well that yeah. goes along with the constraint quiz. Um, but over time, so the dedication commitment is kind of that initial, ooh, uh, you know, that attraction that you have with your um, significant other at the time and just the satisfaction you have. And so that leads you to, to a want-to commitment. Um, and then you know, eventually you make that commitment publicly in marriage um, and then because of your dedication to one another the constraints will increase so you're going to buy a house and have kids and get dogs and all those things that kind of bring you we won't get dogs but a lot of people have dogs <laughs> um, you know and so those things increase over time and that's normal and that's good like Scott just said you need both um, but what you need to work on is the dedication because that is what leads to satisfaction in your marriage and that is what provides you the encouragement and the excitement for the long run. Um, and it, that dedication commitment, it reflects the kind of love that takes fear out of relationship. And so that's First John 4:18. there is no fear in love. So that all sounds great. Like I can work hard towards that, um, hard toward that end of dedication commitment. Um, but So how does that not happen? How do we lose the whole dedication side of it? Um, and there are just a couple key things. One is if you don't handle conflict well and quickly, um, it is real easy it, to kind of think you're letting things slide when in fact you are allowing kind of a root of bitterness to build up inside you. And so that will quickly erode the whole dedication side of commitment. Um, another is just accepting the status quo. Like, hey, we've got it. We've got it pretty good right now, and so we'll just keep sliding through this marriage thing and this parenting thing. When in fact, that is not what God is looking for for you. He's seeking um, something so much greater. Um, and so that just you need to be committed to change and sanctification. Um, and so that secret kind of to satisfying commitment is to keep that those dedication levels high and keep that commitment to changing. 
Um, and then, you know, we've already said this, but making your marriage a priority. And it's a choice. Like, you have to protect your marriage and make it um, really the number one priority. Yeah, we're going to, you've probably got priority of commitment on, on, or power of commitment. We're going to skip that. Is that all right with you? That's on me talking. I don't need to talk anymore anyway. So we're going to go into uh, a great book. This is a book written by a guy named Paul Tripp. It's called What Did You Expect? And he talks about six commitments that couples should make to one another within marriage. And then we're going to spend a few minutes on on really practical sides of how do you build that dedication. Uh, We'll talk about why that's important, and then we'll take some questions. I think we're going to finish right on time at 1130. All right. Good. Okay, so in the what did you expect, the first thing he says is that we should give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness, come clean and deal honestly with our sin, weakness, and failure. So that is just a a daily um, humble confession to one another and complete forgiveness of each other. And there's, there's just nothing, no greater picture, I think, of Christ in marriage than being able to forgive your spouse for um, the little things and for the big things. So Kristen, Kristen does a great job of this. And so in our marriage, I think we have a very, we've established a real safe place for confession. And so, I, you know, a couple of things, I struggle with lust, and I would bet 100% of the husbands in here struggle with it to some degree. I struggle with overeating and with the desire just to please people. And so uh, Kristen is a great safe place for me to confess those things. She is not my entire accountability. I've got a community group of guys that that hold me accountable. But it is a very safe place to come to Kristen, share where I'm struggling, share where I've fallen. And and that just builds that, that just builds a dedication in our marriage to know that she's not going to leave me when I confess to struggling with lust or to overeating or or pleasing people instead instead of pleasing God or putting other people before her. And so we just give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. The next one is we will make growth and change our agenda. So kind of touched on this, but um, you know, sometimes we are willing to live with the human second best and that falls short of what God's wise and beautiful plan is for marriage. So we don't, we don't accept the status quo. We are constantly trying to grow in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And so like Kara referred to, we are consistently growing into what the picture of a godly husband and a godly wife uh, look like we don't. Oh, the direction is not always 100% in that direction, but hopefully the long, long-term trajectory is always moving towards Christ, growing in our relationship with Him and our relationship with one another. And next, we will work together to build a sturdy bond of trust. And um, you know, we just have to prove to one another that we are trustworthy. And when we break trust, we need to um, just figure out ways of rebuilding that and, and trusting that the other person is trustworthy. There's a few, a few ways that looks like for us. Uh, one, early on in marriage, I, I made the commitment. I said to Chris, and I promise I'm going to do such and such. And I don't remember what it was. It's usually what time you would be home. Yeah, the, yes. Did that happen yesterday or earlier? No. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so it's like I promise I'm going to be home at 5:30, and, and I didn't get home probably till six or 6:30. And so Kristen just called me out. She says, "You can't use that word promise and not follow through." And so instead of promising, why not think you're just losing trust when you make a promise and don't hold it? Uh, another way, and so I, I say I'll try to be home at 5:30. We've worked through that. Yeah. Uh, the other side of it, proactively, we know each other's passwords. We know each other's. Uh, she can look at my Facebook account anytime. She can look at my text messages anytime. My email, my phone calls. I have nothing to hide, and vice versa. And so we want to proactively build trust in our relationship. I think for women, part of this is just making the decision to entrust yourself to your spouse's care. And so some of that is submission. Um, but you, know, you just need to be able to fall under him um, and respect him and trust him. The next one is um, commit to a building a relationship of love. And so this is, again, this is just Christ on the cross and our unconditional um, sacrifices. We're choosing to respond with mercy and grace when the other person fails. And so just that big picture of biblical love. And then deal with our differences and appreci- with appreciation and grace. Um, you know, God puts two people together, and usually we are not the same, and that's good. Um, and so it is just an opportunity to, you know, help the other person grow and use his 
his or vice versa her gifts um, and to encourage one another in that way and you know look at your differences with hope not with despair so just because he's different and doesn't do things the way you do you need to look at it on the positive side that he brings something more to the table that um, just makes the two of you better that's right uh, so don't try to change one another uh, become a student of your spouse consistently learning more about them and ways to serve them as another way to build that dedication and then the last is we will protect our marriage so we've kind of harped on this all along but um, you know, I think the biggest protection is you know, every marriage needs divine intervention and divine wisdom so we're going to talk about next, we're going to transition right into how do you make this a priority. And so the way that we protect our marriage, through community, through prayer, through time in the Word, through making this a priority relationship. And let's just talk through some of the practicals of what that looks like and how you stay joyfully committed. So the first one is just pray, 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 pray daily um, for your spouse, for yourself, to be able to submit for strength and for unity. Next is to think rightly about marriage. View marriage as an unbreakable covenant before God. So talked about in the beginning, it's a covenant, not a contract. And so uh, just like the covenant God makes with us is the kind of covenant we have in marriage. And so think rightly about marriage and that ins- uh, instead of just thinking about it as something you can get out of when the going gets tough. Choice. So this is a choice. You choose to do sometimes even what you don't want to do. So kind of that that is the cure for selfishness. You just choose to do the opposite of what you want to do, basically. In Matthew 7, it says, Do not build your marriage on sinking sand, which is basically your feelings, but rather on the rock of the commitment of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, if we all said, I, I fell in love, but those feelings are gone, um, so I'm going to divorce you, that's where your marriage is done. So um, the other part is, is just choosing joy, regardless of what your circumstances look like. And we'll kind of address that a little bit later. Our next is say it with, with actions. How many of you know what todaysletters.com is? Emily Lurkey, Emily and Tim Lurkey. Oh, okay. Write this down on the front page of your notes. <laughs> Google today's letters. Emily Lurkey is a gal on staff. She works in the children's ministry. They've been married five years, and they've got a blog where every day uh, they blog just real short, a little paragraph. Uh, Emily usually does it. I think Tim blogs on Friday. But literally, it's this much to read. It's on my Google Reader. I get it every day. I read it every day. And it's really just what are some things that I'm thankful for that my spouse has done or really little things that, that they're thankful for in their marriage. One of the things that she blogs about in there is that there are four questions that they ask each other. It's Tuesday, Tuesday questions. I don't know what they call it, but... What is it? Tuesday questions. All right. Let me give you four of them real quick. Uh, how did you feel loved this past week? Are these in, these aren't written in your hand at all, are they? No. Okay. How did you feel loved this past week? What does your upcoming week look like? And so they go over calendar schedule. What do you have coming up? How would you feel most loved and encouraged in the days ahead? And so what can I do specifically to encourage you this week? And then I like this one. How would you feel best pursued in sex or intimacy this week? And so those are questions they ask each other every Tuesday. In fact, you don't need to write them down. They're on the blog. But if you go to today's letters, there's even a tab that says Tuesday Questions. And they do that every Tuesday. They go for a walk. They sit down with one another very intentionally. They ask those questions and they back it up with actions in their life. And um, just kind of piggybacks right off of that, but just say it with words. So tell your spouse you're committed through thick and thin. Um, and that doesn't mean just on the wedding day, but, you know, husbands reaffirm um, to your wives that you're there for them at always. Get the D word or the divorce word out of your vocabulary. should never, ever be used because that kind of opens the door for that. And then with your kids, you need to let them know um, in words and in actions that you two are committed to one another. And this becomes even more important as they get older and they start to be exposed to kids who are, uh, come from divorced families. And it's very confusing, I think, when you're young. So just them knowing that you two are committed to one another. 
Our next is to avoid close calls. And so close calls is a book written by a guy named Dave Carter. Uh, and I think it's in your, it's in your bibliography, your resource list in there. But what Dave did is he, he interviewed uh, men and women who have had affairs and said, looking back in your life, what would you want couples who have not had an affairs, what would you want them to know about the decisions you made? And so we were going to spend a lot of time going over that, but... Um, I think one of the key takeaways, and we've incorporated a lot of their material throughout, but one, I just want to give you two things on that. One is eliminate boredom in your relationship. And so one thing he makes the point of consistently is couples that are bored, the door is open for excitement to be brought in from someone else than husband, spouse, kids. And so that's, that's one of the first things that happens when, when couples often are bored, is that they invite excitement in from somebody else. And so eliminate boredom and routine as much as possible. Next, they talk about opposite sex relationships. And so we are freaks about this, and partly because of my job, I'd get fired. Again, I'm committed to my career and to getting food on the table and living in a house. But, but we just put some really specific boundaries in place about opposite sex relationships. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of them, or I'll just mention a few of them. Is that we don't do lunch alone with someone of the opposite sex. We don't open up about personal issues with someone of the opposite sex when we're not there, as a, when we're both not there together. Um, I know I can't handle temptation by myself, and so I just want to keep short accounts. Uh, I stay away from, from people that I know are kind of dangerous to be around. And so we just really try to, to be very proactive in avoiding people that could threaten our relationship for different reasons. And then um, just remind yourself of the positive aspects. And, and this can sometimes be challenging depending on where you are in your marriage. But you know, think about how your marriage has helped you grow, either spiritually or just maturity-wise. Um, what are you thankful for? And like read today's letters. There's just funny little snippets of things that Emily is thankful for in Tim. Um, one thing that I did this past almost year. About it? Yes. Yeah. All right. So last uh, at Christmas. Every year I get kind of a big creative gift that's made by the kids and Kristen. We shared this in, in January, so some of you may have heard this. But the last gift we opened is uh, it's, a, a, it's an applesauce jar that's been cleared out, cleaned out, and there's writing on the outside. Uh, we love you, Daddy. They kind of, you know, they wrote their name as best they could. And then it says 365 reasons why we love Daddy. And so every day I pull out of the jar a little slip of paper that says a reason why Kristen or one of the kids love me. And so they're little things like um, you took me to get Dunkin' Donuts last week. Uh, to as big as, um, <laughs> to as big as, um, you know, I love you for the decisions that, you, that we made together on how we're gonna how we're gonna steward money that we received as a gift. Uh, I, you know, I mean, the full gamut of little things, big things, but man, like, why would I even think? Who else is gonna do that for me? And so little gifts like that. And so she didn't put all 365 in, and in December she refills it on a regular basis. I'm a week behind, right? Yeah. But, but every day, as best possible, I pull one of those slips out, and it's just a constant reminder uh, of something to be thankful for within our marriage. So you can use that idea. It would probably, if your husband is a words of affirmation guy, I highly, highly recommend that. That's, I was just going to say that. So that, that gift was meant because that is my husband's words of affirmation, and, um, and I, for whatever reasons, kind of struggle in that area. And so this is a, just a great way to for it to be a daily task for me but the flip side of that is is that I realize a lot more the small things that I'm thankful for in my husband and in our marriage and so it's it's a both and um, gift all right so get community around you helps you to stay joyfully committed go to re-engage get in a community group make sure that you have friends uh, outside of your spouse so that your, your husband has time with the guys at happy hour and you have women to share with. Very important that you're not just looking for everything in this marriage relationship. And then stay connected, and this isn't just physically, but play together. You know, this is kind of keep the boredom out of your marriage. Recreation type stuff, um, non-sexual touch. 
Scott has kind of made funnies about the whole sex and intimacy, but also just be, that goes both ways. Um, even read a book together, um, be in the Word, do the journey together, and then I think just be vulnerable. So continue, you know, when you first started to date, it was really easy to kind of open up and just let the other person know your heart. Just be sure that you continue to do that because that definitely deepens the commitment. Next is get the log out of your own eyes. So Matthew 7, 3 through 5. First uh, Timothy 1.15. Uh, just think rightly about your sin and your part in the relationship. First Timothy 1.15.